It's Wednesday night, and Valentine's Day is the 15th of the month. Valentine's Day is the same thing as Christ Mass. It's the same thing as Mardi Gras. In fact, Mardi Gras in the ancient world ended on February the 14th. February 14th, every year, and it was always on Tuesday. Why? How could it be on Tuesday with a 365-day calendar? They didn't have 365 days. They had 360-day calendars. That's a Jewish calendar, but all of the ancient world had that. And every year, February 14th would come on Tuesday. Tuesday. And that was called on February 14th. They had a among the Franks or the French they had a seven day festival that matched the seven day festival at Rome at Rome and at Rome they had the feast of Saturn feast of Saturn or more properly the Saturnalia That was seven days that started on December the 17th and went through the 24th. That was the seven-day festival. And then they threw the Yule log in the fire. Yule means child. Some say it meant wheel. And the wheel of the year was the, was the Big Dipper in its four phases. Or the swastika. It was actually like this. And there were seven stars in the Big Dipper. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That last one would come down like that. And what you had was the suvasti. Suvasti means it is good and Hitler got that from the from the people over in the Far East what we would call the Huns are the Tibetan Buddhist worshippers Tibet he had heard that they were tall people they had long arms and long legs he was looking for a superior race I don't know why he was looking for a superior race he was a little short guy with black hair and he didn't have blue eyes and blonde hair just he's a wacko he was brilliant but he was crazy okay and this is the Big Dipper in its four phases every three months every three months the pagans would check the Big Dipper on June 3rd and then on on uh, <clears throat> September 3rd and then December the 3rd and on March the 3rd and they said this was their clock or their wheel of the year this is where we get the <clears throat> <clears throat> the wreath 
The reason it's called the will of the year. So what they were doing, they knew when they got into September, they're getting into cold weather, and they didn't have Kroger or Publix to go buy food from, and they had a hard time storing it. So these hard winter months, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, they said, we got to get back around to March, back when the crops begin to come out. And that's why they said, it is good, Sue Fusty. And it had to do, the reason it was good, they wanted the clock to get back around to crops. They didn't want to have to go through these hard winters. I didn't mean to get into Christmas other than to say it was the same thing as the seven-day festival that started on the 7th, go through the 14th. This was at Rome. And then among the Franks, or France, when you look at... Well, let me see if i got something up here. The Gauls went all over the world. They got over here among France. That's where they would... They migrated to as they were uh, rampaging across Europe. They were rampaging across the European continent. Let me see if I can find that. And I've brought this out so many times. Uh, where is that? I need me a something to... I'm looking for it. Y'all excuse me. Well, that's not it, but it's like that. Well, let me just go ahead and use this one right here. The Goths and the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths were rampaging across Europe, and the Burgundians and the Saxons, they were not under the rule of the Roman Empire. That salmon color is the rule of the Roman Empire. So the, the seas at Rome thought, these people are going to overthrow the Roman Empire, so we got to we got to do something. They'd been talking about that for 200 years. So they said, we, what we have to do is take these Huns and Ostrogoths and Visigoths and Vandals and all these pagans, the Franks and the Angles, the Saxons, and bring their gods into the church at Rome. And it was, corrupted, it was corrupted and polluted. And so what they did, they mixed their sun and tree worship with Rome, and that's where Christmas came into the church, and Constantine changed the name of the Feast of Saturn to Christ Mass. And I said all that just to say that the 14th was the end of Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras is, has particular definition. It means fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday. That's what it means. The 14th in the ancient world, the 360 day, they had the same thing among the Franks, France, over here, in this area, France. They had the same thing there that they had over here in the Feast of Saturn. They had a seven-day festival, and they all the reason Rome did it because they thought the sun was burning out on December the twenty first, and December the twenty first 
was the longest nights of the year. We saw that because the sun is waning. You say, why are you bringing all this out? It, I'm sorry, Valentine's has to do with Christmas. It's the same thing. I'll read that to you in a minute. I think I've lost one of my pictures. Oh, wait, there it is. Yeah, these are the Franks over here. And the France is here. Spain is here. And then you got all these Huns and Vandals and so forth. So Constantine brought that into the church. Well, <clears throat> they had the same thing over here. The 14th of February, since they had a 360-day year, always came on Tuesday or Fat Tuesday. And what they did, what they did, they had all kinds of lascivious, debaucherous, just disgusting sins going on in the street with animals and women and men. And it was an orgy. And so was the Feast of Saturn. Why would we stick Jesus' name on an ancient orgy? That's insane. Well, here's the amazing thing. When you... And the Roman Catholic Church adopted all of this into the church. On the 15th, among the pagans, they started mourning for their god, which they called Tammuz. And they mourned for him 40 days. 40 days from February the 15th, 40 days, is going to be March the 15th. And they called that, they called that the Day of Annunciation. And that would come on Friday every year with a 360-day calendar. So they would mourn for 40 days for Tammuz. You can see the Jews mourning, the Jewish women mourning for Tammuz over there in, in Ezekiel, the 8th chapter. And you, when you read that, you'll know what it's about. Let me read that to you real quick. Ezekiel, the 8th chapter. But if you don't know what it's about, you'll just read your Bible and say, well, let's get on to something interesting. This is interesting. This is more than interesting. It's very disgusting. And the Roman Catholic Church brought that 40 days into the Roman Catholic... Everything in our holidays is Roman Catholicism. And they brought that into the church that 40 days and renamed it Lent. They renamed always the 15th would be on Wednesday. The Roman Catholics, since they're going to mourn for Tammuz, they brought that into the church, the 40 days, and brought the Wednesday and call it Ash Wednesday and put ashes on their head. They just simply adopted the all of this stuff into and the reason I'm saying it again because Valentine's Day is here and it's the same thing the 15th identifies with the beginning of the 40 days you get up to March the 15th now look here go over here to Ezekiel 
the eighth chapter. I'm going to read a little bit of this because this is why God scattered Israel. And it's the same thing as bringing Christmas and Easter and Valentine's into the church. Valentine's and Mardi Gras are directly related. The 15th of February was the beginning of the morning or beginning of Lent. Now you can find this in The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. All right. I don't know where to start here. Verse, let's look here in verse 9. He said unto me, Go in and behold the wicked abominations that Israel is doing here in Jerusalem. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things, an abominable beast, and all the idols of the house of Israel, not of pagans, of Israel, <clears throat> portrayed upon the wall round about, and there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. In the midst of them stood Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel are doing? He's not talking about heathens. He's talking about Israel. Every man in the chambers of his imagery, for they say, The Lord seeth us not. God don't know what we're doing. We're too small in the whole scheme of things for God to know. If you'll notice in Psalms, they say that over and over. God does not see. He does not hear. He does not care. I'm too small in the scheme of everything for it to matter. The Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. He don't know what's going on in our lives. If you think he don't know what's going on in America, you're badly mistaken. He said also unto me, Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. Then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. He's talking about the house of the Lord is the tabernacle. It's or the door of the temple right here. This was Solomon's door. They had a they had an enclosed area for the temple and they had a gate up here towards the north. That's what he's talking about. And you had the you had the brazen sea, you had the altar, here is the veil, veil of the temple. And the only people allowed inside here were the Levites. Levites were the Levi was the third son of Jacob. Jacob's name being changed to Israel. They were the priests of God. Priests. And here's the there's the altar of incense. Here's the Ark of the Covenant. And look at what the priests of God are doing. Here's the seven candlesticks. Here's the table of showbread. Watch what they do. There sat women weeping for Tammuz. This is the, 
This was the same thing as what the Catholics brought in the church and renamed Lent. And watch what we see here. The temple faced east. East. Ezekiel is over here in Babylon. That's about 650 miles away from Jerusalem. And what God is doing, he's showing Ezekiel what he's going to do to Jerusalem for going after all of these sun and tree gods or Christmas or Valentine's or Mardi Gras or Easter or Ishtar. He's showing, he's showing Ezekiel what he's going to do. Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this? They're crying for Tammuz. O son of man, turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abomination than these. And watch what he says in the next verse. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, somewhere inside in here. This is the inner court of the house of the Lord. Look what he says to Ezekiel. Ezekiel is seeing this in a vision over here in Babylon. And he's writing it down. He's seeing what they're doing over here in Israel. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, at the door of the temple, right here, what, what was called Solomon's porch, the porch of Solomon, between the porch and the altar, Here's the altar right here. Somewhere in this area right here. Were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple. They're facing east. Their backs are toward the temple. Facing east. And they worshipped the sun towards the east. The only people this could be is the sons of Levi, the priest of the temple. And they're having a sunrise service. And the time of this is no is around five five ninety seven ninety six BC. They're having a sunrise service six hundred years before Jesus rose from the dead. You think that's okay? And that has to do with the end of the Mardi Gras. Notice. Notice. March 15th is the day of Annunciation. What does that mean? What's nine months from March 15th on a 360-day calendar? December 25th. They were announcing the birth of the unconquerable son on December the 25th to March the 15th, having the day of Annunciation disgusting. And it tells you the plot of these guys on over in the 11th chapter of Ezekiel. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the east gate of the Lord's house. He's not actually going into the east gate. He's been taken over there. His spirit has been taken over to Israel. 
and which looketh eastward, and behold, at the door of the gate, five and twenty men, the same twenty-five men, among whom I saw Jehazimah, the son of Azur, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of Israel. Then said he unto me, Son of man, these are the men that devise mischief. They're very evil. They are Levites. The only people that's allowed into the in the precincts of the temple were the Levites, the priests of God. I'm talking about the Levites. Let me get back to the St. Valentine's Day. God said, Therefore shall you keep mine ordinance that you commit not any one of these abominable customs. I'm going to read this. I got this off the internet. You can get all kinds of information. Instead of playing games on the internet, why don't you look up some of these things? Like Easter, Halloween, Easter, like Christmas, Easter, and Halloween, New Year's, and the other holidays of this world. St. Valentine's Day is another attempt to whitewash perverted customs and observances of pagan gods and idols by Christianizing them. God says, I don't care how people say, we don't do it that way. Well, next time somebody says that, we'll just say to them, just how do you keep the customs of the heathen? As innocent and harmless as St. Valentine's Day may appear, its traditions and customs originate from two of the most sexually perverted pagan festivals of ancient history, Lupercalia, L-U-P-E-R-C-A-L-A, L-U-P-E-R-C-A-L-I. Lupercalia and the feast day of Juno. Juno. Juno was another name for the father of the gods in Rome and in Greece. Juno Februata. F-E-B-R-U-A-T-A. F-E-B-R-U-A-T-A. And we get the word February from that, an ancient god. Celebrated on February the 15th, Lubacalia, known as the Festival of Sexual License, that's what they called it, was held by the ancient Romans in honor of Lupercus, god of fertility and husbandry. Husbandry means the husband is the word Georgios. G-E-O-R-G-I-O-S. We get the man's name, George, from that. It comes from gay and ergon. Ergon means a tiller of the soil. It has to do with food just like that just like that swastika I put on the board a while ago, hoping that the Big Dipper would get back down to March, around to March. They thought somebody was turning that wheel. They said the Queen of Heaven, oh, Queen of Heaven, who in the world is that? Anybody that's been in Roman Catholicism knows that's the Mary of Roman Catholicism. They said the Queen of Heaven was turning the wheel. They thought the Big Dipper was moving. When we see the Big Dipper from Earth, it looks like on the same plane. Those stars may be trillions of miles from each other or millions of light years from each other. 
Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. A light year is how far light will travel in one year going that fast, 186,000 miles per second. Celebrated on the 15th of Lupercalia was the sexual festival sexual license was held by ancient Romans in honor of Lupercus, goddess of fertility. Wasn't all that Christmas stuff about fertility gods? All of them. Venus was the fertility goddess. I'd, I'd hate to even stop, but the Christmas tree, the the that is supposed to be the female genitalia. It's the triangular shape. That's what it's about. Is that not fertility? When you see these spires on top of, of churches, these steeple, that is the male genitalia. That's what it is. The necktie came from that. We're involved in everything that's wrong in America. Let me keep reading here. The Romans believed that Lupercus would protect Rome from roving bands of wolves, which devoured livestock and people. Assisted by the Vestal Virgins. <laughs> the Vestal Virgins were the keepers of the fires of Mithra at Rome. They said the fires had to continually burn, and it was an eternal flame, and when it moved to America, in the front of the Roman Catholic John Kennedy's grave, is an eternal flame. That goes back to the eternal flame in, in the Valley of Tophet and over in Babylon when they burned children in the fire. They kept the fires burning. The Vestal Virgins, the Lupercai, the male priest, conducted purification rites by sacrificing goats and a dog in the Lupercal Cave on Palatine Hill where the Romans believed the twins Romulus and Remus this is very common knowledge among people who study the ancient world Romulus and Remus had been sheltered and nursed by a she-wolf before they eventually founded Rome Clothed in loincloths made by sacrificed goats and smeared in their blood, the Lupercai would run about Rome striking women with febura. Febura. F-E-B-R-U-A. We get the word February. Thongs that were made from skins of sacrificed goats. That's where we get the word February from. The Lupercai believed that flogging purified women, that floggings purified the women and guaranteed their fertility and ease of was drawn to become a couple joining in erotic games at feasts and parties celebrated throughout Rome. In AD 494, Pope Galicius renamed the festival of Juno Februata as the Feast of the Purification of the Virgin Mary, Roman Catholicism, that's all it is. And we have bought into it across America. The date of its observance was later changed from February 14th to February 7th, then changed back to the 14th. It is also known as Candle Mass. You've heard of that, haven't you? 
candle mass. That's a festival of the Roman Catholic Church. The presentation of the Lord, the purification of the Blessed Virgin, and the feast of the presentation of Christ in the temple. After Constantine had made the Roman Church's brand of Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire, A.D. 325, that's the Nicene Council where he brings Roman Catholicism into the church, changes the festival of Saturn into Roman Catholic Church. Church leaders wanted to do away with pagan festivals of the people. Lupercalia was high on the list, but the Roman citizens thought otherwise, so they just changed the name of it and kept the festivals. It was not until A.D. 496 that the church at Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, was able to do anything about Lupercalia, powerless to get rid of it. Pope Galatius instead changed it from February 15th to the 14th and called it St. Valentine's Day, when it has St. on its Roman Catholic. According to the Catholic Encyclopedia, at, three, at least three different St. Valentines, all of them martyrs, are mentioned in early martyrologies under the date 14 February. One is described as a priest of Rome, another is a bishop of Rome, and so forth. The church whitewashed Hugh Lupercalia even further. Instead of putting the names of girls into a box, the names of saints were drawn by both boys and girls, and it was then each person's duty to emulate the life of the saint whose name he or she had drawn. This was Rome's vain attempt to whitewash a pagan observance by Christianizing it. Though the church at Rome had banned the sexual lottery, young men still practiced a much toned-down version, sending women whom they desired handwritten romantic messages containing St. Valentine's name. It's all pagan. Let me read something to you. This is from another one of my papers. Gallatin, Tennessee is right up the road, right? Gallatin is a Valentine name. It's a pagan name. Around the time the Normans celebrated Gallatin's Day, Gallatin meant lover of women. <laughs> Isn't that good? That's so funny. We named our cities and our towns and everything else. All right. Romans celebrated Lupercalia to honor the hunter god Lupercus. To the Greeks from whom the Romans had copied most of... Notice when they say Roman, Roman Catholicism had copied most of their theology or mythology. Lupercus was known as Pan, god of light. Another name for Pan, I read from another writer years ago another name for pan pan means all he was called the god of all when you pan an audience with a camera you get all of it don't you that's where we get the word pan another word for pan was the god of all or you hodos god of the well what 
what do I have to say about that? The Bible says straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. Narrow is the narrow is the the highway or the road. This means well way. When John tells guys, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Pan was a was an imitation of Christ, a pagan imitation. Because prosper is euhodos, it means the well way. You means well. Hodos is the common Greek word way. And there's two ways, a narrow way, a narrow hodos, and a broad hodos. And the narrow way leads to life, eternal life. And the Broadway leads to eternal destruction. Pan was an imitation of the well way. What does the heart symbol have to do with the day honoring Nimrod Valentine? The title Baal means Lord or Master and is mentioned throughout the Bible as the God of pagans. God warned his people not to worship or even tolerate the ways of Baal, which was Nimrod who started Babylon. In ancient Chaldean, the language of the Babylonians, Baal, B-A-L, which is similar to Baal, meant heart. That's the bleeding heart of Mary in the Roman Catholic pictures. This is where Valentine heart symbol originated. Now notice the name Cupid. It comes from the Latin verb cupere, C-U-P-E-R-E, meaning to desire. Cupid was the son of Venus, Roman goddess of beauty and love, also known, Cupid also was known as Eros. Whenever I tell you there's two names for love in the Bible, agape and phileo, in the Greek, there's another word, eros. We get our word erotic from that. It means the goddess of sexual promiscuity. That's what Venus means. She wasn't the goddess of love. She was the goddess of sexual drive and lust. Eros, in ancient Greek, was the son of Aphrodite. Aphrodite means wrath subduer. <laughs> That's why the Catholics prayed to Mary. She can subdue the wrath of her son Jesus. Jesus doesn't have any wrath. He has mercy on his people. Causing them to fall madly. He would shoot them with his golden tipped arrow. Causing them to fall madly in love or madly in lust. He didn't do it for their benefit, but to drive them crazy with intense passion. To make their lives miserable and to laugh at the results. But what does this have to do with us today? The Bible says, learn not to the way of the heathen. The customs of the people are vain. And Jesus said, in vain men worship me, keeping for commandments the doctrines of men. That's enough reading on that. That's actually where Valentine's comes from. It's no different than the Christ Mass nun. It's all the same. There are no holidays. 
we don't celebrate any holidays whatsoever. I go out and talk to people about Jesus every day. How can I celebrate him any more than I'm doing? I get any opportunity, I talk about the Lord. You know what that does when you get strong enough? It liberates you. It sets you free. I'm not obligated to keep anybody's rules of any kind anywhere. I don't care who I'm talking to, my doctors. I'll say, do you know what predestination is? I'll just be real gentle about it. I said, the Bible teaches you go to church, you ought to know something about it. I'm just very gentle, and but very firm. I asked doctors, did you know it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America? I'm very polite to them. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, go ahead. Now I'll ask them that. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas. I'm free. I, I don't know if I can explain that enough. I am free. As long as it's the truth, I don't care who I say it to. The president... I can tell those guys in Washington, they're not going to settle the Middle East situation. The Bible says at the end of time, there'll be distress of nations with perplexity. Perplexity, aporia, means no way out. There ain't no way out with, with Israel. It means no answer in a quandary. A quandary is where you don't know how, what to do. You don't know. None of those guys in Washington have any answers. They make all kind of promises in the election, and they don't know what to do. I'm an intelligent old man, and I can tell you they don't know what to do. Now, I'm going to talk to you tonight about these Levites. Now, those Levites... They corrupted Israel by preaching all of this. Where did they get it from? They got it from Jezebel in northern Israel. I'm sorry, but when one of these holidays comes up, it's as pagan as the others. They're all pagan. They're just wicked. You say, what's wrong with them? That's like saying, what's wrong with Christmas when everybody gets drunk? and gets mad and starts fighting and cussing each other over what they didn't get for Christmas or they didn't get what they thought they were supposed to get. and People cussing each other. I don't. I quit going to people's houses at Christmas time decades ago because it was some sister-in-law cussing like a sailor and a brother-in-law telling dirty jokes. And I ain't going to be around that. You're not supposed to be around it ever. Aren't you supposed to honor your, your family? No. Our family is our brothers and sisters and our mother. And Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brothers and sisters? It's those who do the will of the Father. It's not those blood brothers and blood sisters. Now, I've, been ta I'm, I've got to get into these priests, these guys that brought this into Israel. I want to go back here. Guys, where do I start? Go back to Exodus, the sixth chapter. Exodus, the sixth chapter. I want to talk about the high priests of Israel. I may not get very far since I gave you all this pre-lesson on Valentine's.
it's just, it's ridiculous that we have taken something, a sex festival, and put it into the church. They're going to have mothers being honored all over the United States on this Valentine's Day because we love our mother. They're going to give them a plastic Valentine with candy in it. It's just, it's, you know what it is? It's dumb. It is dumb. The people don't even bother to find out what they're doing. All you got to do is go online and look up pagan origins of, just Google, pagan origins of Valentine, pagan origins of Christmas. It's all over the internet. It's not something I invented. You can get this book here, this book, Two Babylons. This has got more information than any one book I have ever seen. It's got more information than one of these volumes of McClinic and Strong. It's just soaked with information. Now, I want us to go in. Who was the high priest of Israel? I've been talking to you about I've been talking to you about biblical algebra. Here we are talking about paganism and biblical algebra. <laughs> I've given you these axioms out of algebra. Things equal to the same thing thing are equal to each other. And I've given you another axiom. If equals are substituted For equals, the results are equal, are equal. You say, Jim, that sounds hard. It's not. I've said this so many times. I believe algebra should be taught in the fourth grade. That's about as late as I think it needs to start. Because this is very simple. I've used this illustration. Algebra is best illustrated by a seesaw on a playground. Algebra is an equation. A seesaw is an equation. You've got to have this side, x, equal to y, and for in, in order for it to balance, the seesaw's got to balance. If you've got a hundred pound kid over here, you have to have either a hundred pound kid over here or a sixty pound kid with forty pounds in his lap. Then you've got an equation. This equals this. Why are you saying that, Jim? There's another axiom. I gave it to you last week. If equals are added to equals, 
and I'm going to kind of reverse this to equals. The results are equal. The results are equal. If you have got a 100-pound kid here and you got a kid down here that weighs 60 pounds and he's got 40 pounds of weight in his lap, if you add anything down here, you've got to add it down here to keep the thing balanced. If you come up with this kid down here that weighs 100 pounds and you hand him 20 pounds of bananas, You're going to have to hand this kid down here that weighs 60 pounds and he's got 40 pounds of weight. You've got to stack 20 pounds on him to keep this thing balanced, don't you? Is that simple? That's like falling off a log. Here's what I'm getting at. Take this, kind of turn it upside down. If the Old Testament is equal to the New Testament, and we know that it is, if we find something in the New Testament we don't understand, and we need to find that X value, what is that X equal to over here? Everything in the New Testament it's got some equal over here. And the reason people can't understand it is because they don't understand the New Testament is equal to the Old Testament. This is the shadow. This is the very image. I didn't say that. Hebrews 10 and 1 says that. Hebrews 10 and 1. Look at that real quick. Look at Hebrews 10 and 1. I'll go back to Exodus. I'm going to take some time with this. If you want to figure out what the book of Revelation means, look for what has been added to the New Testament, and it has to come out of over here. If you want to find out what Revelation means, look for it in the Old Testament. Look for the images over here. Look for the shadows. Look here in Hebrews. I learned this years ago. I always liked algebra in school. But I'm trying to show you some algebra that any, any fourth grader can understand. This is simple as falling off a log. Hebrews. That's what Hebrews says. You've got, once you can learn to think this way, you'll start discovering the meaning of things. All right, Hebrews 10 and 1. The law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image. The law over here was a shadow. It was a skia. That's the word skia. means a shade. If it is a shade, there has to be an image over here casting the shade or the shadow. You say, why would the shadow come first? The shadow didn't come first. What came first was in the mind of God before 
the foundation of the world, mind of God. He not only knew his people, but he knew what he wanted to show them. The Bible says in the first verse of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is the revelation, not revelations. There's no S on the end of it. Revelation is the word apo. K-A-L-U-P-S-I-S. Apocalypsis. We say it this way. Apocalypse. Apocalypse is... Everybody thinks it's a fuzzy, hazy, smoky meaning. That's not true. Apocalypse comes from apo. Apo. And calypto. In fact, that's one word in the Greek. Apocalypto is the word revealed. It means a removal, apo, of the calypto cover of Jesus Christ. But you're not going to understand Revelation without knowing the meaning of the words. I've gone through that when I went through the scorpions and the scorpion... Scorpion in the ninth chapter is the word scorpios. In the in the Greek you have a noun and a verb form. Well, if you don't go to the verb form, you're not gonna understand nothing. A verb form, that's the word scorpizo. Scorpizo. Scorpizo is the verb form of scorpion. That's in Revelation 9. Scorpizo means to scatter abroad. And the Bible says the hireling cares not for the sheep. He allows the wolf to come in and scatter the flock. Scatter is the verb form of scorpion. And wolves are the biggest enemy of sheep. So scorpizo means to scatter the sheep. Mr. Philip Keller, who used to be a shepherd, he wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. He said, there is no enemy of the sheep like the wolf. They hate sheep. They want to kill them. A bear may be hungry when he kills a sheep. He'll kill him, go off and eat that one sheep. Or a lion, which they didn't have the... It's not believed that they had the uh, African lions, but a lion was like a cougar, like a puma. And it would come in, kill a sheep, go off and eat it. Wolves hated them so bad, there'd be, a, there'd be a, a wolves, maybe eight or ten wolves on the top of a hill, snarling, just, just running off at the mouth and and want to go down and get those sheep. And if the shepherds not watch them, they'll go down and kill a hundred sheep just to kill them, not even eat them. They hate them. That's why God compares false teachers to, to sheep killers. They'll scatter the flock. That's the verb form of scorpions. Scorpions are false teachers. That's not hard. What's amazing, if you take 
when you're studying, it's the best way to study. Take your your concordance. Look up scorpion. Go down the line real slow. Look at scorpion. And you get over there to Ezekiel, the second chapter. And Ezekiel's in Babylon. And in the second chapter, it was, God is speaking to Ezekiel. said, Ezekiel, you dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words. Scorpions have words. Scorpion was like you and I calling some guy a, a, a name a name that we've got for a crook. Some guy that's slick. If you say slick, what does that mean? That means he's out to get something you've got. So we have all kinds of idioms. They had idioms too, and a scorpion was an idiom for a liar, for a wolf. Jesus spoke of the wolves there in, in the seventh chapter of Matthew. He said, you'll know them by their fruits. You'll know them by what they do. Paul said, when I leave Ephesus in the 20th chapter of Acts, he said, raven evil wolves will come in and not spare the flock. He's talking about evil men. So, wolves and scorpions are the same. Now, here in chapter 10, verse 1, for the law having a shadow, a shade, of good things, not the very image. That word image is the word icon. We're predestined to conform to the icon or the likeness of Jesus, the image. Not the very image of the things can never with these sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Of course, when you see the word perfect, I don't mean without sin. The word perfect is the word teleos. It means mature, grow up, mature. Now, I want us to go back over here. Where do I need to go? I've got so many places to go on this. Uh, in, in Revelation, then I'll go back to Exodus. Let's go to Revelation, the fourth chapter. There's been so many people. Jack Van Impey died this past week. You don't want to read anything that he wrote on Revelation. The guy, he memorized, but he didn't know what the words meant. I've heard him just put things together that don't belong together. Look here. I'm, I'm going to try to get to all of this. I'm not going to be able to get to all this tonight. But I'm going to show you how you have to look over here. If you add something over here, let me put it this way. If God added something over here, he's already put it over here in the Old Testament. That's how you study the Bible. You look for its meaning, not by saying, I wonder what that word means. Do you know what that means? I don't know what it means. You don't sit around and look at it, a word and a verse over and over and over and read it over and over until you understand what it means. You look wherever you have to go 
Use your concordance, go down, just like he said you dwell among scorpions, and they have words coming out of their mouth. And God doesn't change the meaning of scorpions from the Old Testament to the New. You say, how can scorpions be like locusts? Anytime you see locusts, locusts are like scorpions. They have to resemble them in some way, and they exactly do. If scorpions are false teachers, false teachers, what they're doing is stealing the Word of God, aren't they? Isn't that what the false teachers are doing? They simply twist and pervert God's Word, Word of God. That's what scorpions do. What do locusts do? They eat up the crops, don't they? Locusts, boy, when you see locusts in the Bible, always think Old Testament. This is where you go. Old Testament. Locusts, God says, when you disobey me, I will send the sword, the famine, the pestilence over and over again. I'll send, finally send the beast to carry you away into captivity. The first thing he usually started with was famine. Famine would come several ways. It would come by too much rain. That's what Samuel told the people in the 12th chapter of 1 Samuel. God will send you so much rain, it'll wash your crops away, and they're going to make Saul the king. He said, if you go after these other gods like you've been doing, God will wash your crops away. They're going, no, please don't do that. Tell God not to do that, not to wash our crops away. Then he come up to Elijah when, when Ahab made, made sun and tree the national worship of northern Israel. God sends Elijah up and says, there'll be no rain for three and a half years. I'm out of here. And for three and a half years, there was no rain. Those were two rays. There wasn't even dew on the ground for three and a half years. That's what the Bible says. If there's no rain for three and a half years, what do you think happened to Israel? People were dying like flies. And boy, Jezebel said, I will kill Elijah for this. That's not Elijah. That's your, weak, that's your wicked heart. You brought your gods into Israel. God said he'd do that. So, the other way that God would do, he'd bring locusts. And boy, the people were terrified of locusts. The locusts were huge. I got a little one over here. This is a small locust. Looks like a big, extra large grasshopper. It's a locust. The locusts would be up to six, seven inches long. They would see them coming. They would cover the sky. It would be dark for 20 miles in wide and 10 or 15 miles deep. And they block the sun. Isn't that what the false teachers do? They block the light. Block light. Isn't that what they do? Jesus is the light of the world. And they block that by twisting his word. The locusts would block the sun and it would be dark all upon the earth. And the people 
just went in a tizzy. They saw him coming. They thought, oh, God, what can we do? What have we done? And they'd be running around in circles trying to stop the locusts. There was no salvation from the locusts. So they were eating up the crops. And the scorpions were eating up the nomos. That's the Greek word law. Nomos. And it means legal food. Legally prescribed food for animals, in our case, sheep. So this is how they're like. They're blocking the light. And they are eating the food of the people. And the false teachers are destroying the food, the law. And what you have is anomos, or A-N-O-M-I-A, which is the word iniquity. Means, un, means to be involved in what's unlawful. All right. Now, if you're going to understand, how much time do I have, Mike? 32. All right. Let's go to this fourth chapter. I might go over some of this next week. In the fourth chapter... Now, people, they say some strange things when it comes to this fourth chapter. And one of the biggest questions is, who do you think the 24 elders are? <laughs> and it's funny. It'll tell you exactly who they are here. Exactly. If you know something about the Old Testament... But you're not going to know if you don't read the Old Testament. And this is, I looked, behold, a door was opened in heaven. And anytime you see heaven, that's talking about Israel. Kingdom of heaven or heavens. When you look at the H volume of McClinic and Strong, look up heavens, it will tell you the first thing it says under heaven is ruling class, the lords, that rule. The Jews knew there were three heavens. There's the heavens where the birds fly, where the rockets go up. There is the ruling class of the world. That's the world. That's the first thing they mention in McClinic and Strong. Look up heavens. The ruling people. And then there's the heavens, wherever God is. We don't know where that is in another dimension. So a door was opened in heaven, and the first voices which I heard, where is the sound of a trumpet? Boy, do we not know that trumpets are voices? The only purpose for a trumpet is so it can tell you what to do. When you have reveille in the morning, that is something the trumpeter goes out there and sounds so all the army can get out of bed. It's time to fall out, meet formation. And that's what it's for. And I know Reveille. I went to a military school. That's Reveille. That means get up. If you have... That's charge. 
those are voices. Anytime you see, I heard trumpets as voices. The 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians tells you that. Look at 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14th chapter. He tells you exactly those words. 14th chapter. All right. That's 15th chapter. That's the wrong chapter. All right. My Bible's not opening. 14th chapter. Verse 7, even, even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction. Dikastole means variation in the sound. How shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, if you're going into battle and some guy's playing taps, that's to go to sleep. That's an uncertain sound. Da 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 da. That means time to go to bed, take off your uniforms, and lay down. Who shall prepare himself to battle? He's talking about the gloss in this chapter. I want it interpreted correctly, and gloss means foreign language, and Corinth was right in the center of the civilized world, and they had dozens of glossa or foreign languages, and it's translated tongues in this chapter. Now go back over here. You see, I did four and a half years on Revelation. Every time I'd come across a word like that, I'd say, what is a trumpet? In fact, the first chapter of Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord day, verse 10, and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So trumpets are voices telling you what to do. And they all knew that. They had those ramps on. They'd stand on the top of a hill and go, da, 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 da. and it might be to charge or to fight or to retreat, but whatever it was, the trumpet told you. So let's go back to the fourth chapter. A trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither, and I will show these things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. Let me tell you what the throne is. And it's going to tell you exactly in this chapter. The throne was the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus came down out of the cloud and he sat down on the Ark of the Covenant and that was his throne. Now you're going to be able to see that as I go through and define something. You got the veil, candlesticks, the table of showbread, the altar of incense. It'll tell you exactly what the altar of incense is. It'll get over in that fifth chapter and tell you that the altar of incense is the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. Well, then all the rest of these, I said last week the Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled 
with the blood of a goat. Where do we find that the first time in the Bible? Leviticus, the 16th chapter. Well, what is the goat over here? On the Day of Atonement, on the Day of Atonement, Day of Atonement, that was in the month Tishri. That's our month. That's our month, September, October, on the 10th day of this 7th month of their ecclesiastical year. 10th day, that was the Day of Atonement. And that's the day the high priest killed a goat on this altar, brought the blood through the veil, and sprinkled it on the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what is sprinkled now, according to that 10th chapter of Hebrews? What's sprinkled now? Hearts. Huh? Our hearts. Our hearts are sprinkled. Our hearts have to be the spiritual Ark of the Covenant. And you'll find all this in Leviticus 16 over here. That's not hard. And we know that's the ark. We know that the ark is the, if it's the throne and Jesus is sitting on it and he rules from the throne and we see later on that this is doubtless the high priest that come in here. Now, I was in the spirit, and behold, the throne was set in heaven, or in Israel, and one sat on the throne. One, that's Christ, he's going to tell you, he's sitting on this throne. He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine. I studied these colors for years. I got books on colors. It's one of the hardest things because what they called a color back then has gone through an evolutionary process. It's not exactly the same. Now some of them are, you'll find some of the answers over in the Old Testament for colors over here. There's one that I really like to give people. And that is the color red and the color of fire. Fire was always represented as yellow through the scriptures. Let me erase this up here. All right. Red plus yellow. Red plus yellow is what? Orange. Orange. Thank you. Orange. When the Lord told Noah, pitch the ark within and without with pitch. Pitch was a red stained. Some call it asphalt. 
some say it came out of the ground some say it came out of uh, out of a tree as to where it came from we know that it was red pitch the ark within without with pitch the first word pitch is the word kafar it means to cover the second word pitch is kofar means to stain as if to die so it meant to stain and die red now in the new testament we have the word baptize which comes from baptizo means to cover now notice it doesn't mean to dip to cover something the movement is on the part of the fluid And it comes from the word babto, which means to stain or to die. This was a household term that women use to stain and dye clothes. Baptized does not mean to dip into water at all. Original, gosh, I don't know if I need to get into this. Originally, it was an infinitive. Or a verbal noun. It is a noun with verbal character. That's what an infinitive is. It shows the movement of the fluid only while it stains and dyes something. Mr. Girdlestone, one of the great scholars of the last several hundred years, he said when the scholars got to these half of King James translators got to the word baptize, they got frustrated. They didn't know what to do because it was a noun with verbal character. A noun is a person, place, or thing. This is a thing. It doesn't mean to dip. Period. He'll tell you that under baptized in McClinic and Strong. If there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, what is it? He's washed us from our sins in his own blood. When you look at baptize or you look up blood in the McClinic and Strong, it'll tell you. But baptism was a death. When Jesus tells James and John, can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? He told them that, asked them that the day before he's going to die. He's What he's asking them, can you die the death? They said, we can. He said, both of you will. The amazing part of it, John was a part of this, this exposition that Jesus was giving to them. He said, both of you die the death. And every scholar that I've ever read after said they don't know whether John died the martyr's death after he came off of Patmos. Mark, the 10th chapter, tells you he died the martyr's death. Jesus said it from his mouth. You don't have to look into history. Look what Jesus said. He did die the death. So the ark 
was covered with a stain or dye has the exact same meaning. Pitch with pitch has the exact same meaning as baptize. That's how I taught on this book for four and a half years. I went into all these words. Now, how does red with yellow? Fire always is the color of yellow. It's always yellow. Do you think 370 days? I thought it rained 40 days and 40 nights. That's right. But they were in the ark 370 days. That's how long they were in the ark. Would you call that 370 days in an ark? Would you call that a fiery trial? And all you could do is smell the urine of the elephants and the cattle and the and the poop. And you're going, oh, gosh, Lord, how long are you going to keep us in here? You got no ventilation. Got one little window at the top of the ark. And the ark didn't look like a boat. It looked like a casket out there. One window right here. That's what it looked like right there. Looked like that. That would be a trial to be in that 370 days, wouldn't it? <laughs> Stinking. You didn't get to take a bath for th over a year. You would call that a fiery trial, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. The trying of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried by fire. The word orange is the word, a it's the Latin word, arum, and it means gold. Red plus yellow is gold, isn't it? You think that's an accident? Now, let's get back to this. To show that this is talking about Christ sitting on the throne of Israel, which is the Ark of the Covenant. In this case, it's going to be our hearts, isn't it? If he's sitting, if he sprinkles our hearts, the Bible says Christ is not sitting on thrones made with hands. Now look here. Round about the throne, or round about, let me call it what it is. There is a mercy seat on top of the ark. Jesus came down out of that cloud, sat down there, and he built a house. This is called the house of God. That inner sanctuary is called the house. Or it means to marry. Or to build a house. This is God's house. Well, if we got this over here, we got to go over here to the New Testament and find out what is called the house of God. Hebrews 3 and 6. Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house are we? We're the house of God. And he sprinkles our hearts. The heart was a place of understanding. So he sprinkles our hearts. And that's what he... He sprinkles our hearts with the blood of Christ. This is why all those rituals that they did over in the Old Testament, they were blotted out. Because you couldn't be partaking in all of the spiritual if you got the literal. And he went in there on the 10th day of the 7th month, one time a year. 
one time a year. Jesus has been made to be sin in our place. He became a goat in our place. And his blood is sprinkled upon our hearts. I want to show you that this is talking about if Jesus is sitting and judging this Israel over here, what is this Israel over here? And you're the house of God. What is this Israel over here? It's spiritual Israel, isn't it? Spiritual Israel. I've got so many verses to go with this. The way into the holiest was not made known in Hebrews 9. The true way into the holiest is not made known as long as this literal temple was still standing. That's why you can't be partaking in all those rituals because we're the temple of God. We're the house of God. He sprinkles our hearts. The heart doesn't mean the the aorta and the right ventricle and the left ventricle and the and the bicuspid valve and the tricuspid valve. That's not what the heart means. The heart to the Jew is the place of understanding. And you can get that out of any number of these encyclopedias if you look at it. But I want to show you this. Round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats, I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. The high priest wore white raiment when they did, when they went into here. You mean twenty-four of them are going into there? No. One of the sons of Aaron went into the Holy of Holies one at a time. Each one of them served on 24 different situations. They had 24 orders. Let me show you who these elders are. It's not hard. This word elder is the word presbyteros. We get the word Presbyterian that. It means an official in the church. Now, 24 elders. I saw four and 20 elders, four elders clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Let's look at these 24 elders in in. 1 Corinthians 15, excuse me, 24. What? 1 Chronicles. Did I say Corinthians? They both start with a C. 1 Chronicles 24. So if you're going to find, you've got to find the 24 elders in the Old Testament. The 24 presbyteros. 1 Chronicles 24. In order to teach on Revelation, you got to know a lot about the Old Testament. First Chronicles 24. 24. All right. And these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. And the sons of Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. There's only one problem. Nadab and Abihu died before their father. 
and had no children. And they damn in a Bible, you can see their story over in Leviticus, the 10th chapter. They offered strange fire to God. We don't know what that was. God killed them, struck them dead right on the spot. They were sons of Aaron. Therefore, they were going to be sons of the high priest. The only high priest in Israel was Aaron. Even Moses wasn't a high priest. They had the same father. But the Bible says, you have to be a son of Aaron. And I'll show you that next week in order to be a high priest. And I'll show you this is a high priest. And he went, I'll show you this is the 24 elders. And when I show you the golden crowns, it has to be the high priest. Nadab and Abihu died before their father. I don't know whether they, they were supposed to get all the fire from this brazen altar. This, this brazen sea, some say it was made of copper. We don't know. Brass or copper, whatever it was, it was the will of God. These were made of brass. All this inner, these four pieces of furniture on the inside were of beaten gold. And we can start reading about that in the 25th chapter of Exodus. Now, let's read on down. So Nadab and Abihu are dead. They were killed off in the 10th chapter of Leviticus. God told Aaron, I'm killing these two boys. Don't you weep for them. If you weep for them and put ashes on your head and you show that you're mourning over them, I'll kill you and your other two boys. You got that? <laughs> he said, they knew what they were doing. They knew what I told them and they did wrong. I don't know whether they offered fire. They may have said, well, this candlestick is a lot closer. We'll just get a fire off of this and offer the incense. Either that or they put the wrong formula for the incense on the altar of incense because it had an exact formula. I don't know what the strange fire was. All kinds of preachers have written books on it. I don't know what it was. It was going against the exact instructions of God. When you go against it, he'll destroy you. Now let's keep reading. David distributed to these two, Eleazar and Ethamar, all the high priests, all the way through the Old Testament. We'll get to Ezra. He was a high priest. He was a descendant of Ethamar and Eleazar. You get to Eli, the father of Hophni and Phinehas. They were evil sons, and they would have been high priests, and God killed them. All through the Old Testament, Zadok, who was the high priest under David, he was of he was of these. It'll tell you what if they're of the priesthood as you're reading the stories about these people. Now let's read the rest of this. Eleazar and Ahimelech, the sons of Ithamar, according to their offices in, in their chiefs in their service. And there were more chief men found of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar. And thus were they divided among the sons of Eleazar. There were 16 chief men of the house of their fathers and eight among the sons of Ithamar. 16 and 8 is 24. 
and those are the 24 elders sitting upon sitting are serving around the throne of God now what are the crowns of gold look over here in Exodus 28 I'm running out of time Exodus 28 I'm just barely getting started in this that Valentine's part took a lot away Exodus 28 28 and verse 36 and this is talking about Aaron I need to read more of it I don't know if I have time how much time do I have Mike? 5 Let's start reading here in verse 31. And thou shalt make the robe of the high priest an ephod of olive blue, and thou shalt be an hole in the top of it. In the midst thereof shalt thou shalt have a binding of woven work round about, and the whole of it, as it were the whole of a habergeon. Haber that's a, a part of a soldier's uniform when he goes into battle, that it be not rent. And beneath upon the hem of it shalt thou make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet round about the hem thereof and the bells of gold between them round about. So they had bells on the bottom of their robes so that when they went into the Holy of Holies, if they did anything wrong, one thing wrong, God would strike the high priest dead and say, okay, now who's the next son of? Come here, it's your turn. He'd strike them dead. That's why they believed that they wore a rope around their foot just in case they did something wrong. They died on the spot. Ooh. How would you like to be a high priest in Israel? <laughs> I'd rather be some insignificant in the tribe of Naphtali up there. Forget Judah and forget Levi. All right, where was I? All right. Thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and grave upon it the engravings of the... Well, I didn't read the rest of that. Verse 34, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe round about, and it shall be upon Aaron the minister, and his sound will be heard when he goeth in the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out that he die not. You better be hearing his sound because if he quits rattling and banging and that, those bells quit, they don't sound anymore. He's dead. And his sons will be dead. Thou shalt make a plate of pure gold. This is the crowns of gold. And grave upon it like the gray engravings of a signet holiness to the Lord. Thou shalt put it on a blue lace that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre. It shall be, and it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, the high priest, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And when one of his sons, Ithamar and Eliezer, or their children, act as high priest later on when everybody else is dead, they'll be wearing that gold crown. 
That's what he's talking about. We know that this throne is the Ark of the Covenant because these are the high priests that have the crowns of gold. And they're going to cast... I'll say this again next week. When you get down here to verse 10, and the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat upon the throne. The throne is the... That is the Ark of the Covenant, or our hearts and worship him, and live forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, only you're worthy to interpret this temple of God, and the ark of the covenant, which is our hearts. Only you're worthy. Worthy is the word axio, which we get a word axiom from that, only you are equitable, equal to it. So what they're doing, proof that these are the high priests, they're taking these crowns. When Jesus died on the cross, when he died on the cross, this was the transfer from the Aaronic priesthood to Melchizedek priesthood. And I'll go into Melchizedek next week. I should have preached this for Sunday morning because this is something everybody needs to hear. You had the Melchizedek priesthood started in the garden. Jesus, Jesus is a priest forever after the order, the taxes of Melchizedek. That means a fixed succession of priests. Order, that's an order. Like I said, you go into a you go into a lodge and you see uh, high potentate of 1929, high potentate of 1930, high potentate of 1931. That's a taxes. That's an order. So it starts in the garden when God kills a lamb to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And that lasts until Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons, and the third son is Levi. And out of Levi will come Aaron, and he will be the high priest of Israel, not even Moses. That's the brother of Moses that's three years older than Moses. So they're, what they're doing... Huh? I can't hear him. Aaron. 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 What about Aaron? Aaron's three years older. I can't hear you, Mike. Aaron is three years older. Well, did I say that? Moses. You said Moses was three years older. <laughs> Aaron was three years older than Moses. I get these guys going in my head, and I'm talking when I should be listening. But I'm out of time. The fact that they're, what this is, this is the transfer and then you have the ironic priesthood until Jesus is nailed to the cross and all the rituals are nailed with him. And then we're back to Melchizedek and the temple of God, which is you and I. And you can't teach revelation without understanding this. Just no way. You've got to know something about the Old Testament to teach revelation. You can't say, what do you think that means? I don't know. Uh, God say, what do you think the 24 elders are? It's one for each of the tribes of Israel, one for each of the... No, it's the sons of Aaron. The Bible teaches that. 
I'll come back and I'll say these things again next week with a bunch of, a bunch of other things, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to understand the word. What a magnificent God you are that you've given us the desire to see these things. You've given them to us first, and then you've given us the understanding. Help the church to see these things. It's Your word is wonderful. It's such a magnificent puzzle. And you're letting us see just a little bit of it. Thank you for truth. Fight our battles. Lead us to your elect. In Christ's name, amen. I've got to get back to Aaron and his sons. The fact that they had crowns on their heads proves they were sitting, they were ministering around the throne, which was the Ark of the Covenant.